scripture text today is Exodus chapter 4. And what a chapter it is. It uh, is fascinating, number one. That's the least we can say about it. It's a fascinating chapter. It is an informative chapter. We learn a great deal from it. But it is also a very practical chapter. And it has a great point to be made for us in our daily lives today. And that is that when God calls you and me to a task, always equips us to carry out that task. That's what we're going to see in this chapter. Moses was very hesitant about his abilities to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land. Very hesitant. Children of Israel were very uncertain that he could do it. And so God uh, met his inadequacies and ended the uncertainties of the Israelites with some great gifts. So let us stand and read chapter 4 of the book of Exodus. Then Moses answered and said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled. Uh, Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that Jehovah, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And the Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. It shall come about that if they will not believe you or Heed the witness of the first sign. They may believe the witness of the last sign. But it shall be that if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, 
for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Jehovah? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. He said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. And the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, you shall, he shall speak for you to the people. And it shall come about that he shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be as God to him. And you shall take in your hand this staff with which you perform the signs. Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men that were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says Jehovah, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Jehovah met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, that is God, let him alone. At that time he said, You are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God, and he kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of Jehovah with which he had sent him. 
and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which Jehovah had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. You may be. Everything Moses needed to be the mediator of the Old Covenant, in this chapter we see God graciously given to him. He uh, felt inadequate. He didn't know whether the people would listen to him or not. He didn't know whether he would have adequate authority. So God says, what do you got in your hand, Moses? Moses says, I have a staff. Now, what was a staff? A staff was several things. A staff was what a shepherd carried around to rescue and protect the sheep from any dangers. A staff was also a symbol of authority. Pharaohs, kings, People who had authority over others, all of them had a staff. That was proof they had authority. So God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to take that staff. You should throw it on the ground. And lo and behold, it turns into a snake. Moses hightailed it out of there. He didn't want to have to fool with this snake. And then God said, Moses, grab it by the tail. So Moses grabbed the snake by the tail, and it became a staff again. Then God said, Moses, put your hand inside your shirt. So Moses put his hand inside his shirt. Hand came out. It was leprous. So God said, Moses, put your hand inside your shirt again. Moses puts his hand inside his shirt, pulls it out, and it was thoroughly healed. And God said also to Moses, I want you to throw some water on the ground, the dry ground. Throw some water on the ground. Moses did. The water was from the Nile River. Now that's significant because the Nile River was the lifeblood of Egypt. It was worshipped. We're going to see that come into play again later on. So no, Moses put the water from the Nile River on the ground and God caused it to turn to blood. And that would have scared everybody in Egypt. Because all forms of life depended upon the water from the Nile River. 
The water from the Nile River turns to blood. Egypt is through. So by those three miracles and that staff, God saying, Moses, here, you have no adequacy in and of yourself. You don't have what it takes. I do. So I'm going to give you the authority, and that staff is a sign of your authority. And that sign is proof that you're going to be the shepherd of my people, and you're going to be the leader of my people. And I'm going to give you the ability to perform miracles. They performed three miracles. Now, what is a miracle? We'll come back to this in a minute. We use the word miracle in a in just a simplistic way that doesn't really fit the bill. For us, it's a miracle when something happens we don't understand. That was a miracle. I like what Becky's grandmother, a great old mountain woman and Christian, used to say. I used to live at her house. and She used to say, well, miracles never stop ceasing. Anyway, anyway a miracle is something that happens that's just far beyond our understanding. That's not what a miracle is. Uh, miracles all have one purpose. We're going to see later on in this chapter. They have one purpose. And if that purpose is not involved in the performing of a miracle, it's not a miracle. We'll see what that purpose is as time goes on. So here God is reassuring Moses I'm going to give you all the power you need. I'm going to give you the authority that you need. Carry out this job that I'm calling you to do. Then Moses says this. He says, uh, I don't have any ability to speak. A leader of Israel is going to have to do a lot of talking. He's going to have to make a lot of speeches. And I'm not good at that. I'm not eloquent at all. So I think you want somebody else besides me. Somebody to give speeches. Somebody to win people over by their eloquence. In verse 10. Then Moses said to Jehovah, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I have a speech impediment, God. I stutter. You don't want somebody like me to be the head of three million Hebrews. And also have to stand before Pharaoh. Verse 11, great verse. Jehovah said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Moses, who do you think gave you that speech impediment? Who makes a person dumb? Who makes a person deaf? 
is a person the ability to see? Who makes a person blind? Is it not I, Jehovah? So don't give any of those flimsy, uh, flimsy excuses. I know you have a speech impediment. I gave you that stuttering problem. See somebody blind? I made them blind. See somebody deaf? I made that person deaf. I am the sovereign God. Of course, that's who Jehovah is. Jehovah is the sovereign God who does whatever he will whenever he wants to do it. Remember what the word Jehovah means? I am who I am, and that's the way I want to be. And I do whatever I want to do, and I'm not accountable to any human being. I alone am God. I owe nothing to anybody. So if there's any weaknesses and problems in human beings, don't use that as an excuse not to obey what I've sent you to do. Because I'm the one that sent those weaknesses into your life. So verse 12. So then go on. Do what I told you. You're going to be preaching to Pharaoh. You're going to be preaching to all of the people of Israel. Just go on and do what I told you, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you're to say. End upon me, Moses, and I'll fully equip you to do what I've called you to do. Verse 13. But he, that is Moses, said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Still trying to get out of it. In the anger of Jehovah burned against Moses. Moses was a great man, but there are several times that God's anger burned against him. In the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he is very fluent in his ability to speak. And moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You're to speak to him. And put the words in his mouth. Put the words in Aaron's mouth that I told you to preach to Pharaoh and to Israel. The words that you can't preach, you don't have any ability to speak, Moses, you put the words I put in your mouth, in Aaron's mouth, and let him talk what I told you. Here's a great verse, 16. Moreover, he, Aaron, shall speak to you, for you, to the people, and it shall come about that he shall be a mouth for you, and you shall be a God to him. 
In the world does that mean? God said, Moses, you're going to be a God to Aaron. He's going to be your mouth. And you're going to be his God. Is that idolatrous or anything? Nope. Simply saying, Moses, I'm telling you exactly word for word what to say. Verbal revelation. Don't make up anything. You don't say the ideas and I give you the words, I give you the words, I give you the ideas. So now just like Aaron is going to say whatever you tell him to say, it's like God for him. I'm going to put my words in your heart, Moses, and then you're going to speak those words through Aaron. And Aaron's words will be inerrant. Just as inerrant as they were, were, were received from me. I'm your God and I spoke these words to you. I told you what to say. And now Moses, you're going to tell Aaron what to say. Just as if you were his God. He's going to speak what you tell him and not add to or take away from. Verse 17. And you shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father, father-in-law. And he said to him, Please let me go that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. So here's one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave Moses. Jethro, his daddy-in-law. Remember what I said last Sunday? Some of the greatest lessons Moses ever learned were given to him by Jethro, the priest of Midian. Midian is in southern Saudi Arabia. Jethro is not white. Moses lived with him for 40 years. And if it wasn't for Pharaoh, there would not be, if it wasn't for Jethro, there would not be a United States of America. And if it wasn't for Jethro, there would not be a Presbyterian church. It's a, it is as simple as that. Because remember now what we're doing. We said that redemption includes deliverance from one's enemies and judgment of one's enemies. And when God's people are delivered from their enemies and the enemies are judged, two things result. The fulfillment of the promises of God and the creation of a theocracy. What's a theocracy? 
It is simply a society where God is king. A society where God rules by his word. Where every family is governed by the word of God. Where the society as a whole is governed by the word of God. Where the government is under the authority of Almighty God. That's a theocracy. It's not something mean. It's not something difficult. It just means the government of God. And so now Jethro is teaching him about this theocracy. He said, this theocracy, Moses, that you're going to build now, you're going to go to the promised land, you're going to begin to organize it in the wilderness, but Joshua is going to take it over in the promised land. This theocracy uh, is going to be a representative government. Not going to have one man rule. It's going to be governed by representatives of the people elected to enforce the law of God. And the church, Moses, the church in the promised land is just going to be just as theocratic because it's going to be governed by a system of courts. Lower courts to higher courts so that there can be courts of appeal and all of those courts are going to be governed by the law of God. So these are some of the greatest blessings that Moses could ever receive. Now, verse 21. And Jehovah said to Moses, back to Egypt. See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. Stop. Moses wanted to go back to Egypt, see his family. Uh, and uh, Jethro said, all your enemies are dead, so go ahead. So he goes back, and Jehovah says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, you're going to stand before Pharaoh, and you're going to perform these miracles I've given you the authority to perform. But, look at the words, verse 21. This is Jehovah talking. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. This is, you're going to perform miracles. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. He's going to do the very opposite of what you tell him to do. For one reason, I, says Jehovah, will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, there's about 19 times in the book of Exodus, I think, it's about 19 times, when it says either, God says either, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, or Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. In the English, it may say, Pharaoh will harden his own heart. But it doesn't say that in Hebrew. Every time it talks about hardening Pharaoh's heart, it's either God, Jehovah, hardening Pharaoh's heart, or God, or Pharaoh's heart being hardened. 
passive. The point is, when God hardens somebody's heart, that keeps him from doing what he's supposed to do and causes him to do the opposite. When God hardens somebody's heart, it's like a judge. It's a judicial act. It's not God being unjust or anything like that. It's God judging sin. And when we read about God hardening men's heart, we are face to face with God himself. That God can judge men any way he wants. He can judge men by sending a flood. He can judge men by burning up Sodom and Gomorrah. God can judge sin any way he wants to do it. And one of the ways God judges sin is with more sin. Sometime read the first chapter of Romans. Three times God says about the Gentiles, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up because of their stubbornness and refusal to obey God. And so God sometimes can punish sin with more sin. That's what he's doing with Pharaoh. He's hardening Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will not obey God. Now, what's your response to that? You say, oh, that doesn't seem just to me. Who are you? God does what he will. Let's look at some more of these places. Turn to uh, Exodus chapter 7. And verse 3 and 13. Exodus 7, 3. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. That is where God tells you why he hardened Pharaoh's heart. He said, I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart so that I have more time to display the greatness of my power so that I can have more time to perform miracles. Look at verse 13. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he didn't listen to them as the Lord had said. Now turn to Exodus chapter 9, verse 12. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not listen to them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Verse 35. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He did not let the sons of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then Exodus chapter 10 Verses 1 
And the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them. I want more time to display more of my power and my glory. Look at verse 20. But Jehovah hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Verse 27. But Jehovah hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Is Exodus 14, verse 4. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God's saying here in modern Armenian evangelical terms, I have a wonderful plan for Pharaoh's life. And it's wonderful only for me. Verse uh, 8. I, Jehovah, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. So we could just keep going on and on and on. Over, that's a major theme. Not just in Exodus. It's also in Joshua and other places. That sometimes God punishes sin in a person's life with more sin and withdraws his restraining grace that keeps that sinner from sinning. Withdraws that, that grace that normally would restrain the sinner from sinning, withdraws it, so that that sinner will sin more than he did. Say, well, that's just Old Testament. I know it. And so let's look at the New Testament. Let's see if it's the same God. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, New Testament, Jesus. Let's read verses 37 through 40. Uh, but though he had performed, this is Jesus, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. He was performing a lot of miracles, but still they weren't believing. In order that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe. Isaiah said again, He, God, has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. 
Jesus saying, why did the people not believe in that town? Jesus had performed a lot of miracles. God didn't want him to believe and God didn't want to heal him. So God caused them to have hard hearts. Let's look at Romans 9. Romans 9. And uh, let's go with verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up. You know why you're alive, Pharaoh? For this one purpose, to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. I'm going to use you, Pharaoh, and harden your heart so that everybody in the whole world throughout history will know about me. So then, God has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. So, brothers and sisters, don't play around with God. God does what he will with you. You can never blame him for anything that he does. Anything bad happens in this world, you get all the blame. Anything good happens, God gets all the credit. And that's the way it is. God can get mad at uh, Moses. He's going to get mad at him again, real mad, almost killed him. Then he can get mad at you. Let's go to verse 2. This is God giving Moses information that Moses would not have gotten on his own. One piece of information is God's going to harden his heart. Second, verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says Jehovah, Israel's my son, my firstborn. One of the first places where we hear about Israel being God's firstborn. Who was the firstborn? He was the one that was the main heir that would receive the blessings, that would be in the place of leadership. And you mess with God's firstborn, you're messing with God himself. So God called, this explains a lot of things. God says to Moses, tell, the, tell Pharaoh, tell the children of Israel, Israel's my firstborn. They're the apple of my eye. I'm going to be very protected of them and bless them with rich blessings. Verse 23. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, Israel. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, 
will kill your son. You punish my firstborn, I'm going to kill your firstborn, Pharaoh. So God kills every firstborn child in the whole country of Egypt. Now, don't get in, the, in your mind that all these are, li are little babies. Some of them are little babies, and some of them are full-grown adults. They're still firstborn. They're, they're the leaders of the land. You kill my firstborn, Pharaoh, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, firstborn for firstborn. That's the essence of justice. So in verse 24, well, let's stop here for a minute. Understand, people say, boy, I'm glad we don't live under that Old Testament law of eye for an eye, two for two. Justice. You disregard that basic principle that punishment must fit the crime. You no longer have justice in the land. For to say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and firstborn for firstborn is simply to say that the heinousness of a crime determines the severity of the punishment of that crime. And that is the heart of justice. More interesting story here. Verse 24. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that Jehovah met him and sought to put him to death. That's how mad he was with him. Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, and threw it at Moses' feet said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, God, let him alone. At that time, she said, you're a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. But now what's happened? For some reason, the great Moses got to circumcise his son. How in the world can that be? When he and the children of Israel are to live as the covenant people of God who said, I'll be your God and the God of your children after you down through their generations and everlasting covenant. And I want you to bear and your sons to bear the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. And Moses forgets to circumcise his little boy. And Moses forget such a thing as that. The Jehovah said to Aaron, Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which 
he had sent him, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled the elders of the sons of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people, so the people believed. They heard that the Lord had was concerned about the sons of Israel, and that he sent his affliction. Then they bowed low and worshipped. Now notice, when they heard the words, saw the signs, believed. That's the purpose of miracles. The purpose of miracles is to attest to the fact that the person who claims to be speaking the word of God is in fact speaking the infallible word of God. Or else he would not be able to perform miracles. So when they heard the words, saw the signs, they believed. So, Moses forgot to circumcise his little boy. And so Sephora did it. Took a flint knife, not the sharpest knife in the world. Took a flint knife, the wife, Sephora. And saved Moses' life. Circumcising the little boy. God was going to kill him. God was saying to Moses, Moses, you are a famous man. You're a great man. You're probably the most important man in the Old Testament. You are not in, uh, indispensable, buddy. Don't give me instant obedience. And in July. And so the courage of this woman Saved Moses' life and teaches us the necessity of instant obedience. When God told Moses to do something, why didn't he even do it right then and there? When God tells you and me to do something, he demands, expects, and deserves instant. No excuses. Instant obedience. So when these three million people, whether they knew about this or not, when these three million people heard Moses speak, they saw the signs, the miracles, instantly. They believed. It says in verse 31, So the people believed, and when they heard that Jehovah was concerned about the sons of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. God loves us and does have a wonderful plan for our life. 
Not Pharaoh. God loves us. He's seen us in our affliction. And so when they recognized the covenant love of Almighty God, they bowed low with their face to the ground. Worship that great God. So go back and read this chapter again this afternoon. It's well worth reading over and over and over. And understand that you're not indispensable. Understand that the obedience or the belief that God demands of you and me must be instant, instantaneous. Pray. Thank you for these lessons, Lord, in the fourth chapter. Some of them are difficult to swallow because we're used to easy life. Easy religion. So, Father, we pray that we would learn that you're a loving God, but you are a God of inflexible, inexorable justice. Expect us to obey what you command, every word of it. Thank you for all these stories. We thank you for all these things you've taught Moses to do and through him the things you've taught us to do. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.